Hello everyone. Today is Thursday, the 31st of August 2017. It is block height for 482,864. And to start us off today is F2 Pool reneging on the Segwit2x support. Shinobi, bring us live. <gasps> live from inside of your brain. Completely unexpected. Right I mean, who who would have thought that people would start pulling out of this agreement now that we have Segwit? I'm shocked. <laughs> well, we, we were we the exclusive to uh, announce when Charlie Strem came on that maybe there was a like a possibility that it wouldn't go through if we could get enough people using Segwit in time by November. Uh, potentially, but you know. Not really too concerned about who gets the the thing first, just as long as the information's out there. Indeed. And, and speaking of that, I think the most interesting thing about uh, this announcement is this confirms what a lot of people, such as myself, have been thinking, that he was not actually running the BTC1 client. He was just signaling in a block, which means absolutely nothing. It is changing a single line of code, and anybody can signal anything. Well, so he installed like the BIP91 seg signal, but he didn't ever, ever touch the Segwit2x code. Is that what you're alleging? Correct. And he admits as much himself in the Coindesk article. Great. Tell us why that's significant. I'm just going to make you do all the work. Well, it shows that um, contrary to the popular opinion out there, aside from a few bad actors, miners are not stupid. They're, they're not willing to risk their entire business on random, untested code just because they're screaming for a certain thing. They, they have a business to run. That business relies on consistent uptime and a dependable code base to be ran. And they're not just going to switch over to some new thing because somebody says it's the new thing. Okay. Does uh, Hacknex, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, no, I don't have, don't have anything to add, really. <laughs> okay. All right. Is this all we get? This is pretty big news, though. I mean, like Reddit kind of blew up. Yeah. And um, what what are we also thinking? What does this mean? What's wrong side? What does this mean for like you know BitPay, for example, who said this kind of weirdly earlier on, like th about forty minutes old, the default Bit Bitcoin B node. Mm -hmm. I think they're scrambling for oh. an out now. <laughs> I mean, this well, is why, pretty why much. Why would, think... why would they want to cut out a bit though? They weren't one of the strongest proponents of this. Well, because this entire deal was pretty much born by the uh, the idea that everybody else was supporting it, so I'm going to jump on the ship. And as we start to see Bitwalla already pulled out, now F2 pool, a, a huge uh, subsection of businesses in the ecosystem who didn't sign or did sign are now stating that they're not going to go through with this. It's it's no longer the case of everybody else is doing this. So why, why are you going to be the last person sitting there holding the bag? Right, so this, this agreement was always unstable from the start. And even like when we had that week when we bounced up from $1,800 and a lot of people started to realize that miners were going to be signaling early for the SegWit activation initially and that this was perceived as really bullish, what the New York agreement had was a little bit of air cover because people were just using James Hilliard's seg, seg signal, BIP91. And it wasn't possible to tell from the outside what software 
the miners were really running. They can put whatever they want in the code base. They can encode whatever message they like. But that doesn't actually mean that they're running the underlying code. So for a while, the New York Agreement looked like it was this thing that was trundling along and that it had this support. But in fact, all it ever required was for one major actor to pull out. And now, like a house of cards, we're saying it's possible the whole thing could collapse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a miner could say they are running their operation on a blue tomato. That that doesn't actually yeah. mean they're running a blue tomato on their server. And it's it just kind of goes back to the silliness uh, of how this all started. Because if you remember, it, it was a big shit show on, on the uh, BTC1 repo simply trying to get BIP91 merged in the first place. The initial plan was for them to have a different service bit on the network level, uh, pretty much isolate themselves from all previously deployed SegWit clients, and then activate their small subset, which would then not trigger the activation and the rest, and they attempt to leverage this into pretty much forcing everybody to run their code. And then James Hilliard came in with uh, BIP91, and that ended up pretty much changing the direction of things. Like, it was, okay, this is obviously a huge source of contention, and it will lead to a split. So they tried to kind of give that up as a peace offering. Here, we'll, we'll make it compatible with everything else, but we're still going through with it. And, you know, obviously that's not the way things are playing out now. Yeah, indeed. And um, so if we if we can move on, because I wanted to talk a little bit about what's been happening over the last sort of six months or so, where we've seen a bit of a clampdown. And, and it somewhat relates because of what I Trace Mayer was saying on Whalepool the other day in an interview. He said that uh, one of the things that improves the fungibility of Bitcoin is lightning. And, you know, perhaps there was some motive, even if it was kind of a uh, you know, in the background for Jeff Garzik's work on Segwit2x to increase the block size to kind of centralize uh, the node count a little bit more uh, because he runs companies like Chain Analysis. And we've seen in the last few months, uh, law enforcement clamped down, you know, BitMixer went, Alpha Bay has gone down. And latest news on BTCE is that they are now reset, setting up businesses again but get this, this time with like full KYC AML compliance in the process. So I, I mm -hmm. feel like- uh, one, one quick correction yeah. though, um, it's actually uh, Scry that uh, Garzik has invested in. Um, Chain Analysis is a different company. Oh, right, okay, sorry about that. Right, so the, the issue I have is that it just seems to me over the last sort of, you know, six to eight months um, that we've seen this kind of movement to kind of clamp down by law enforcement on a lot of these places um, for people to be able to mix their coins. And now you've got all kinds of software that is able to basically go through and de-anonymize you. And if you look at the third stage on, on the blog post as it's translated to take you to the screen grab, uh, the third stage of BTCE's new development will be a licensed financial investment company that will audit and register personal data in accordance with AML laws and KYC identification 
procedures. In the future, this financial company will operate under its financial license, both digital and monetary data. So I don't know, I presume this applies uh, backdated, like to all the data before, because one of my concerns when BTCE got taken down was that it was going to affect uh, like basically the honeypot of data that came before it, all the people that had signed up, all the people that had transacted on it, whether or not now that they're basically being cucked by law enforcement, that they're just going to give up all that all that old information in their database for going back to 2011, all that trading data, all the people that have signed up and registered. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I know a lot of people who uh, pretty much got burned by BTCE. And one of their big concerns is they were using anonymous accounts. And so in order for them to claim any money that they've lost, they obviously have to go there, produce identification, previous account information. And so pretty much anybody, like right, right now they have the, the trading data set, the, the, the coins, but those are only tied to the, the pseudonymous accounts. Whereas every person who comes in and registered is going to be tying their name to that. And eventually, even if a large chunk of people don't come forward and um, pretty much register and claim what they're owed, just the people that do are going to narrow down the data set that they have to work with that isn't tied to somebody. So even people who don't come forward and provide their identification could be at greater risk later for being tagged or identified because there's less of a haystack to sift through after the fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what did you think about when BitMixer went down and that kind of weird announcement that was put out about, you know, changing, there was like a, the founder had a change of heart and that he decided that actually this wasn't such a good idea anymore um, and was just like, yeah, I'm giving up. And I, I don't, do you think it's a coincidence that then Alphabet gets taken down and then BTCE? You think, you think there's some coordination here? Well, I definitely think they're they're related in at least that um, law enforcement was pretty much investigating and trying to make moves against all of them somewhat simultaneously. Because, I mean, if, if you want to pull back and look at the bigger picture for a second, we've had the incident with Coinbase, we've now known, um, is connected to the fact that they've been running chain analytics software for the past two years. So they're trying to get a data set of taint or metadata to apply to that. You have the European Union, I believe, has declared mixing your coins using things like CoinJoin or Tumblrs, the equivalent of money laundering. You had the Alphabet bust. The I forget the name of it, but um, the, the one darknet market that tried banning the sale of fentanyl was busted as well. Mm -hmm. um, the BTCE takedown. There's very much, in my opinion, a, a widespread coordinated effort to go after all of the, the seedier businesses or entities in the space because yeah, it's probably very scary for these governments. Like things like this, like big criminal enterprises, they have their, their methods of investigation, uh, of tying data together and analyzing these networks. And Bitcoin is pretty much completely through that for a loop. And they need to adjust fast or it's going to embolden more people to pretty much use it for illicit activities. Yeah. So we need we need better fungibility tools. In many ways, I feel like this whole block size debate was a big distraction and actually Bitcoin's one of bigger Bitcoin's biggest weaknesses is its lack of fungibility right now. Oh, I agree completely. And I mean this is I mean, it might have a little to do with uh, the South Korea edition, obviously, but I think Monero, that's a big part of why it's been pumping lately and why it might continue to do so. People are finally starting to realize that Bitcoin is an open book. And if you do not take 
every possible precaution to have that firewall between your identity and your metadata and the data related to your on-chain activity, anything can be retroactively analyzed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the metadata, the, the information about your money has almost become more valuable than the money itself. And I think a lot of people will take for granted the fact that when you used to transact with cash, people weren't going around logging the transaction of the serial numbers, right? They weren't going around like there weren't QR codes on each banknote and you didn't get scanned and you didn't have your face, you know, taking a picture of your face and uploaded some central database. I think a lot of people feel like digital money is just like a fait accompli. It's come along. It's this natural thing. You grew up with it maybe if you're young enough and you think that it's normal. And actually, this is pretty radical, what is being proposed right now, persisting everyone's financial transactions in a central database that only certain usually government entities have access to. And in some cases, corporations like, you know, uh, Amazon and Visa, MasterCard, those kinds of people also have higher upper privileges. So this is not radical to suggest that we should have, you know, better privacy, financial privacy and fungibility in, into digital uh, currencies like Bitcoin. This, we're actually, we're being, we're being pretty conservative if you go back to how cash used to be handled. Well, yeah, I mean, um, Greg Maxwell has made this point a number of times in the talks he's given about fungibility and um, privacy technology. It's, it's not just about safeguarding criminals or people up to shady things. It, just a person who works for money and is paid by their employer and then goes forward and purchases whatever they do with that, that is to that person. Their employer can see what they're doing with their money. Yeah. If you if you're saving money, but you you want to go ask him for a raise, he can go see that you're still holding a big chunk of money and tell you why would I give you yeah. a raise? Good you're point. doing fine. Like that, there are so many ways on, on the personal level, on the business level, even on a national level. If if we actually do get to where we think we're going with Bitcoin as, as a reserve currency, the entire trail of all the country's activities on that technology is open for every other country in the world to look at. I mean, that starts to have insane implications on military spending, strategic organization, all of that's laid bare for all your enemies to look at. Yeah, indeed. And speaking of enemies, um, Shinobi, what do you think of patents? I think they're abhorrent and completely immoral. Really? Well, I found one here. Um, and apparently, it's uh, you can't use a, a series circuit anymore uh, on a breadboard. You know, like, like this one, series connection. You know this. Yeah, it's been patented. I was re tell tell us more about this. You've been reading about this. Well, pretty much. Um, this this is the uh, the patent that you might have seen on everybody on Reddit uh, recently. Bitmain is essentially attempting to patent the use of a series circuit in the layout of the chips delivering electricity to the actual um, chips doing the mining computations on their mining boards. Um, <laughs> this patent uh, pretty much iteratively lays out the, the design from the most basic um, series circuit for power delivery up to its application in a piece of mining hardware and attempts to claim a patent on it. And ironically, to my knowledge, almost every ASIC manufacturer in this space, including BitFury, which was along way before Bitmain, has used this design. So they're quite literally not only trying to patent something with prior art, but at its most basic level, they're trying to patent something that is half of electrical engineering. 
like when it comes to an electrical circuit, you can have a series circuit, which is everything that's supposed to be receiving power on a singular connected circuit, or a parallel circuit, which has the actual devices hooked into it pretty much set up with their own pathways. So you can selectively open the paths to each specific thing receiving power and only have a like one or some of them active while completing the entire circuit so that electricity will flow. It, it's insane. It, it's like trying to say I have a patent on everything that's around. But we're, we were going to bring this up yesterday um, with Charlie, but he said, look, don't feed the trolls. Basically, they're just doing this to try and you know, create a reaction. And by talking about it, he said, and he made a good point, you're just feeding into that. So why are we well, even paying attention to it? Because I think it, like th this is entirely my opinion. So before I say this, this, this is not some objective statement. But Jihan and Bitmain are a cancer on this ecosystem. That's if you objective. look back at, <laughs> just just want to let people draw their own uh, conclusions yeah. and. But if you trace back all the major drama in this space over the past like year or so, it all comes back to Bitmain. They they were using ASIC Boost illegally. Did they do anything when they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar? No, they denied it. Even after one of his well, subsidiaries, no, they, they released but, they released some PR about it, and the, the, it was like you know nice slick PR. But it, it didn't address the underlying issue. And even though they denied it, one of their subsidiary pools was busted red-handed factually using it because they included in a block two transactions that were child pays for parent. One depends on the other. And they included the second one, the one that it was dependent on in the ordering of transactions in a block. So it was orphaned as invalid. The only reason that that would happen is if they are juggling the order of transactions around in the block, which is what you do when you're looking for hash collisions in the Merkle root. They were using ASIC boost. Like that, that is the most, like, I, I don't even call that circumstantial evidence. I will call that objective evidence because it is so glaringly screaming that's what's going on with no alternative explanation. I, like, I, I can't accept another one. It, and on top of that, then ant bleed. They had all of their mining equipment phoning home to a domain under their control requesting an instruction to remotely shut it down. Now they are literally trying to patent a basic type of circuit. And th this other patent I haven't looked through in depth, but I believe they're trying to patent pooled mining, as Slush mentioned on literally invented pooled mining. He was the first pool operator in this entire ecosystem. And you have this man trying to, to patent this in China and use it to bully other companies in this space. Like this man has nothing in his mind except his own bottom dollar. He does not care about this ecosystem. He does not care about the people who've invested in this ecosystem. And he is doing the exact opposite of ensuring that it functions properly and is safeguarded for those who have invested in it. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I've kind of gone off on a tangent here and got no, a little no, heated. But. This is a good point. In the, in the chat, we've got someone who mentioned uh, Kirchhoff's circuits law. Um, 
with uh, which are two equal uh, two equalities that deal with the current and potential difference in the the lumped element model of electric circuits and apparently he's basically trying to uh, patent this but i mean we should add that obviously all patents are very complex there's lots of rich language in here it was dense too bit too dense for me i've been flying today uh, to kind of delve into it and actually find out specifically what it is that's being patented but some of this language sometimes just this just superfluous and it's just it's just in there because that's how patents are written and plus this is a translation as well so i'm sure if we had somebody you know to defend the claim they would come up with something very complex and an argument as to why it's not true like why you know this isn't really patenting a serial circuit series circuit yeah like they said they weren't using asic boost and like ant bleed was was a feature and not a backdoor or a bug. I mean, how many times is this man going to try and just manipulatively steer this entire ecosystem to his own benefit? And we just go, okay, when he offers some ridiculous excuse for it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sorry yeah. to be blunt, but it's time to wake yeah. up. Yeah, I don't. I don't want us to be an armchair patent law to those that are saying it and uh, love armchair patent law. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we could get a lawyer on. Why don't we ask a lawyer to come on and decode this language for us and actually tell us what it is? Or should we just not bother and not feed the troll, like Charlie says? I would actually be very interested uh, to get Jason Siebert on here if he was willing. Mm -hmm. He's pretty active in the space. Um, you know, he goes on uh, with June Seth yeah. sometimes and does his own show. You can reach out and see if he's interested. We will do that. We will do that and have him read the patent application. Probably a level two kind of question, so we'll probably get charged quite a lot of money, but it'll be worth it for the lols. Um, and then we can say we're not really uh, armchair patents. Right, I want to go to my favorite my favorite person in the world, which is uh, <laughs> Vitalik Buterin. And I've, I've got to <laughs> say, I want to see more pictures of Vitalik sat next to suits, signing. Look, this is like a summit. It looks like two politicians, like they've just agreed to go to, you know, to, to have peace after so many years of feuding. Oh, the blockchain, it's disruption and revolutionizing, game changing, paradigm shifting. And the guy in the suit is like, okay, okay, I capitulate. Let me know where I can buy some ether. And this is it. This is peace in our time, peace for our time. It looks like a young man in way over his head to me. Oh, come on. How can you not like, look at that face. How can you not trust this guy? What, what, okay, so tell me what the misunderstanding is. Ed, educate me. Um, essentially, the, the headlines yesterday were going around saying that the Ethereum Foundation uh, was involved in signing this deal, but that is incorrect. Um, he, he, being Vitalik, has actually incorporated an entirely new entity with uh, Vladiev Martinov. I think I got that right of uh, Yoda devices. So they're essentially firewalling this entire project from the Ethereum Foundation proper. Um, I believe in order to ease concerns over conflict of interest. But I, I don't really see how just setting up a new shell company under a different name does that when, the, as a leader of this, you're involved in both projects. Reputationally, there's no way to firewall that. If this project goes down in flames, everybody's going to associate this with Vitalik and going to associate it with Ethereum and the Ethereum Foundation. And 
I mean, like, I, I really do think at this point he is just a, a young man who is too smart for his own good and is getting in way over his head, just trying to run around and be Mr. Hotshot in the cryptocurrency space. Yeah, it's an incestuous mess over Ethereum, I find. You know, all their founders have kind of either kind of stayed or stuck around or they've all gone off into these kind of ancillaries, you know, these other companies. And they're basically still in the same space and they still collaborate with Ethereum. But they're at the foundation or they're at consensus or they're working on some other project. And then whenever they do some big pump event, like where they want to get the price of Ethereum to go up, you find the same old people coming back and putting their name to more and more things because those are the names that people recognize and those are the names that people are going to respect and they're going to want to put money into that ICO or they're going to want to, you know, support this thing or buy Ethereum because they see a picture of Vitalik, you know, in a, in a mainstream media outlet signing a document with someone that looks really important and official. Yeah, well, I mean, what did our resident ICO expert tell us the other week? That's pretty much the metric she it's uses to decide. Yeah. She invests literally based on the reputations of the people they have on their site and have as advisors. And I mean, Vitalik explicitly said he would not be taking advisory positions with ICOs anymore. And we found on that episode, what's that? His face is on another ICO website. I mean, yeah. at, at this point, it boggles my mind. Like, I really do think Vlad Zafimir is the only rational person left in that ecosystem and he seems like the lone voice of reason trying to scream caution like stop pump and dump scamming stop making all of these claims that undersell the problems or design flaws in the system like stop acting like this is the panacea to all the world's problems and i, I feel like he, he's going to be the lone voice screaming that until this entire thing implodes on itself I thought blockchain could solve all the world's problems. If you manage your externalities properly, but that is the exact opposite of what Ethereum is doing. <laughs> I Well, look, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I was trolling you there, but I, I do think um, that we should see some Vitalik action figures, so says James Bond, and, and I think he's <laughs> right. I think I, I would I would buy that just so that I could tweet it out and like, put it in like weird positions and like, I don't know. I, c I could think of like some real, really good photo shoots I could do with a Vitalik doll. And I, I would just do I would get it for cinematic that, goals. That would go right next to my Excellion hat line on the shelf. It's a fucking collector's <laughs> item. Oh, and I, I heard that Excellion is going to be releasing a Dragon's Den hat. Oh, yes, he is. And yeah. you just wait and see, Bitcoin world, <laughs> how many dragons there are out there. No, that's going to be a lot of fun. So Dragon's Den was the namesake of the channel from which this uh, podcast comes. So I, I'd be really looking forward to that. I hope we can be one of the first to, to receive them and we'll wear them on air live, live with everybody. But um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I don't know what happened to Acnix. You there, Acnix? I think I kind of just barreled over everybody and stole the spotlight. No, it's cool. I've been busy once again almost all day. So you're working on that RV. Yep. Yeah. Have you get you gonna yeah, get a satellite set up? We had a couple of other people actually write into us saying that they wanted to, you know, they've got a satellite and they're gonna be broadcasting with the the blockstream node. Yeah, so um 
I got the uh, the RTL SDR converter, and I just have to get the LNB and uh, portable dish. But uh, I'm not sure exactly um, what kind of configuration. But grab the LNB now. It's back in stock on Amazon, and no idea when it's going to sell out again. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, get it. I want, I want to see a demo of it. I want to get that working. Yeah, that's I'm, literally I'm... the last piece I'm waiting on. Great. <laughs> well, guys, look, um, I'm off to watch the finale of Game of Thrones, so I got a dash. Like, you know, really, that's really important <laughs> stuff. I don't want to say anything. I just, you know, I can't hang around. I've been in Berlin all week, and I've just got back to the UK, and it's super late here. So, thank you very much to everybody, um, and all you guys in the chat. And if you're still watching this after a full show, you are the Renaissance. And uh, remember that you can like and subscribe, but only if you want to. See you next time. Bye.